my name is Chris. If we haven't met yet, one of your pastors here. This morning, we're going to be wrapping up our Send message series called Created for More. Every October at New Life, uh, we really just try to intentionally slow down, uh, even just amid the, the craziness and chaos that tends to be our, our lives, and remind each other of, of why we're here, why we exist as disciples of Jesus. And so, this month, we've looked at the fact that Jesus is the bridge, whether we realize it or not, he's the bridge to everything that all of us are chasing, you know, things like, like peace. So Henry talked about that. He found peace in Christ. Now, things like hope, things like purpose, freedom, all of those things are found in Christ. Those things are rooted in Christ. And so uh, the first week of October, we just asked a very simple question, what are you, what are you giving your life away to right now? What are you actually giving your life away to? Are you giving your life away to stuff that really won't matter in the end? Or are you giving your life away to things that, that will count, that will matter in the end? And that's kind of an important question for all of us to, to wrestle with, right? Because we just get this one life. And so we want to use it for, for the right reason and to glorify God. And then we talked about how we, um, corporately as a body of Christ, and even as individuals, we can engage our city, our Jerusalem, Asheville, as it were, and, and we introduced you actually to several partnerships a couple of weeks ago that we have here in the city, ways you, you can get involved. Because the reality is Jesus told us that we need to pray for and go after those who are currently like we once were. So Matthew calls these people, calls us before Christ, sheep without a shepherd, right? And then last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus said that he came to preach good news to the poor and to set the captives free. And so we talked about like, we, the fact that we have to engage with this. We have to engage the poor. We have to engage the captives. We have to engage the abused and voiceless globally, as we talked about last week, with 45 million people currently enslaved around the world with 8 million children who die every single year due to poverty and hunger. That's one child every 3.9 seconds. We talked about the fact that there are now 2.8 billion, almost 3 billion people in the world right now with little to no access to the good news that God loves them and sent Jesus to save them. And so we, we have to be engaged in these issues if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus with a straight face. And that's why we as a gospel community called New Life Church, that's why we give sacrificially once a year to this send offering so that we can engage the poor and the outcast and the widow and the orphan and the slave. All these people in our community and around the world who need freedom, both physical freedom and spiritual freedom. And only Jesus can provide that for them. And so, like Jesus tells us, man, we pray relentlessly and we give extravagantly and we look for practical ways for us to get involved in this mission. Talk is cheap. We want to we wanna look like Jesus. We want our church to look like Jesus. We want to be about what he's about. So today we're going to finish up this series by focusing, by dialing our lens in a little bit more closely to home because mission really does start at home. Now, it never ends there. It never ends there, but it always starts there. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples that they'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. 
And Jesus wasn't giving his disciples a multiple choice option there. Like you just choose one and you can be about that. He was, he was saying, no, you're going to be my witnesses starting at home and then moving out to the, the furthest, darkest places on this planet for my glory. And so this morning I want us to talk uh, about this concept in the New Testament called oikos. No, not the yogurt brand oikos, although they do make a really good yogurt. Oikos is actually a Greek word that's used 106 times in the New Testament. Most often it's used to describe uh, one's home or household. But more broadly in the New Testament, it's used to describe a person's circle of influence. Right, So we, we each have uh, a number of people in our lives that we touch on a regular basis. Right, So we have a graphic, you can see that kind of the concept of oikos. Our oikos includes our family, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our coworkers, our classmates. It's it's the people that we are relationally connected to just by virtue of where we live and what we do for a living and the family that we happen to be born into. We all have an oikos or a circle of influence. Every single person in this room this morning has this. There's an author named uh, Michael Green. He wrote a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. And in that book, he notes that the early church used the oikos principle, this principle, as the primary strategy to advance the Jesus movement. So yes, the early church, that first century church that we read about in the book of Acts, they went to other cities, they went to other countries, They planted churches, they expanded the Jesus movement in amazing ways, but they started primarily with their family, their friends, and their neighbors as a mission field. And I think for for many of us in the American church, somewhere along the way, we've sort of lost this. And so as a church, yes, we're going to continue going down uh, to Clarkston to work with refugees. Yes, we're going to continue to connect with our partners here in Asheville who are doing good work. Yes, we're going to launch some global partnerships in the months and years ahead. We must do those things. But if we're not careful in going to our city and going to our world, which we must do, by the way, but if we're not careful in going to all these people, we can neglect the opportunities for mission that God has placed right underneath our nose. And the people that we see every single day of our lives. And so this morning, I want to start with a basic premise, and then I want us to, to kind of build out from that premise. So here's the basic premise that the whole Christian movement is built on. Here's the premise. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's my only hope. He's your only hope. He's your children's only hope, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. For every person on this planet, Jesus is their only hope for forgiveness, freedom, and abundant life. And our world right now is just is being ripped apart, is being shredded by the disease of, of sin and separation from God. And church, I want you to understand this morning, we have the cure. Jesus is the cure. The gospel really is good news. And whether you realize it or not, God has placed you in a very specific oikos, a very specific circle of influence for a very specific reason. Now, you may not like your oikos. You may wish that you could change your oikos. But I want you to understand, it's not an accident that you were born into the family that you were born into. 
It's not an accident that God gave you the children or the grandchildren that he gave you. Not an accident that you work with the people with whom you currently work or go to school or live in the same neighborhood with. We have, you have, what they need, believer. And so the only question is whether or not we're going to be intentional with those that God has put in our lives, those that we are connected with, our lives are intertwined with. If we're going to be intentional about leveraging those relationships in order to point people to God and His goodness, to let them know that God loves them, and he has something better for them than whatever they're chasing in life. Are we going to leverage our relationships for those purposes or are we not? That's why our mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we call relational discipleship. If you've been here for a while, you've probably picked up, you've probably noticed that we're all about relationship here at New Life. We believe discipleship, disciples happen in the context of relationship. We're actually a part of a network of churches called Relational Discipleship Network. And so we, we want to connect with God, and we want to connect with people, and then we want to connect people to God. Right? It's not complicated. We all have relationships. It's just a matter of what we leverage those relationships for. And I also want you to understand, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do this. You just have to love God and invite people into your life's journey. We see a a really clear picture of this in in John's gospel, chapter one. We actually see uh, Peter. You guys have heard of Peter. He's like this pillar of the early church movement. Uh, This guy wrote a couple of books in the Bible. Um, He's actually brought to Jesus by by his brother, by Andrew. In that same chapter, we see Philip. He brings his friend Nathaniel to Jesus. In Acts 16, we studied about this time last year. We saw uh, Paul and Silas. This time, Paul and Silas are in prison. God miraculously breaks them out via an earthquake. The the soldier, the jailer who's keeping watch over them is getting ready to to kill himself because under Roman law, if you lost a prisoner, uh, that was a a death sentence. And so Paul stops the soldier. He says, don't don't kill yourself. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to get you in trouble. And he starts sharing with him about Jesus. And they actually go in the middle of the night to the soldier's home. And everybody in the home believes and they're all baptized together. This idea of oikos as mission is just embedded throughout the pages of Scripture. And as one of your pastors, man, I'm I'm so encouraged to see so many of you doing exactly that. We've seen a bunch of people this year make decisions to follow Christ, to get baptized, to get involved in community. And here's the exciting thing for me as one of your pastors here. Almost every single person, there's like a couple of exceptions, but almost every single person that we've seen make a big spiritual decision this year for Jesus, they were connected to God and to new life through a relationship with one of you through a relationship with somebody here. So it's not like people are stumbling in here and they're just really impressed with my preaching or like our music or anything like that. It's happening through your relationships, through your oikos. So just like if I could take a minute just to encourage you as a church family, great job. You guys are killing it this year. Let me just encourage you, let's keep going. Let's keep chasing after Jesus. Let's keep chasing after people who need Jesus. Let's keep inviting people into our lives. Keep inviting people over for dinner to our small groups, inviting them here so they can experience an authentic, warm community of faith. Our oikos is our first mission. 
Now, I want to spend the rest of the time that we have together this morning focused on one specific part of our oikos, and that's uh, our homes, our homes with our, with our kids or our grandkids. And this, I'm, I'm afraid, has become the forgotten mission field in the modern American church. Studies tell us that between 70 and 80% of our children, children that grow up here in the church across America, will leave their faith, will leave the church by the end of their freshman year in college. Now, I would contend that many uh, are like me, and they return at some point in their adult years. But nevertheless, that should be a really alarming statistic to us. The best I can tell, just kind of rough estimates, uh, we have between probably 150, 200 kids and teens that are at New Life on some sort of semi-regular basis. That's a quarter pushing a third of our church to kids and teens, which is awesome. I think that's a sign of a healthy church. Man, we, we love our families here. We love our kids here. We love our teens here. But that should, that should also raise the alarm bells, I think, for all of us because as a church body, we have a lot at stake here. And to make matters even more alarming, in the American church, we have now, currently in 2018, we have more kids programs, we have more youth programs, we have more paid staff focused on our kids than at any point in church history, and yet we are losing our kids at an unprecedented rate. And so my question is, why? Like, what, what gives? What's changed when you look at the, the course of the last 2,000 years of Christian history, what's changed in the last... 40 or 50 years. And here's, here's what I, I think has happened. If you study American church history, uh, there's something that ha- took place back in the 60s and 70s called the uh, church growth uh, movement. And what happened was as Americans began to move away from rural areas and family farms to cities for jobs, churches began to grow exponentially. So throughout the course of history, Churches were typically like neighborhood churches, okay? And so you had, you know, 40, 50 people in a church. But now with everybody moving to the city, the churches begin to grow exponentially. And so I think leaders and pastors like me didn't know what to do. So we just, we created programs and we created strategies and we hired staff to help with all the kids. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. The problem with that is we, as pastors, as church leaders, we begin to communicate to you, either intentionally or unintentionally, I think mostly unintentionally, this is the message that we begin to communicate. We've got this. We're the professionals. We've got the Bible degrees on our walls. And so what we want you to do is to drop your kids off at our programs and let us tell your kids about Jesus and disciple your kids. And so parents, Christian parents, for the first time in history, begin to abdicate their responsibility to evangelize and disciple their own children, and the results have been catastrophic. And I think there are two primary reasons this shift has been so devastating in the American church. The first reason is just simple math. We get, what, like an hour with your kids, grandkids, maybe, maybe two hours each week? So while we're pouring into your kids for an hour a week, the world is pouring into your children the other 167 hours a week. 
Brother, sister, hear me say that we're not winning that battle unless mom and dad are leading the charge at home. That's just simple math. We're losing that battle, nine out of ten times. The second reason this strategy has failed us miserably is a spiritual, it's a more biblical reason, and that's because God has designed, God has even mandated that fathers and mothers be the primary disciple makers of their children. So hear me say this, like God never gave us permission as parents to farm out that responsibility to the church or like a children's minister or a youth pastor. And we have a fabulous children and youth staff here at New Life, but I want you to understand something. They will not stand before God one day and give an account for your kids. I will not stand before God one day and give an account for your children. You will. God has given you that task. He's given you that role. Now listen, understand, as a church family, we want to come alongside you. We want to help you. We want to team with you. We want to help train. We want to equip, reinforce what's happening in the home. But listen to me. If you are counting on an hour a week here to do what God has designed to be done in your home, the other 167 hours a week, that's a bad bet. That's a really, really bad bet. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up, turn it on, head to Ephesians chapter 6. This will be kind of our anchor passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in a city called Ephesus. And in chapters 5 and 6, he's addressing the the Christian home. So chapter 5, he addresses marriage. Chapter 6, he's addressing children. And then he moves to parents. And so if you're here, if you're a kid, if you're a teen, tune in. God has something for you this morning. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of of the Lord. So Paul says, children, first of all, you need to obey your parents. This is the right thing to do. Children, teens, honor your mom and dad. This is actually one of the Ten Commandments, and it's the first commandment that comes with the promise. And the promise is if you'll honor your mom and dad, things will go well with you in this life, and you'll live long in the land. So kids, if you don't want to live a miserable life and die at a young age, honor your mom and your dad. Ultimately, Paul is saying, kids, teens, you honor God or you dishonor God by how you respond to your parents. So you're honoring God or you're dishonoring God by how you interact with your mom and your dad. And so this is a serious matter. And then Paul moves on to the parents. And this word he uses, he says fathers. That word in the Greek is used several places in the New Testament Depending on the context, it can also refer to both parents. So moms, you're, you're not off the hook this morning either. Now, I will say, dads in the room, we, we do need to be the spiritual pace setters in our homes. God has given us that responsibility. But both parents should be involved in the process of making disciples of our children. So he says, fathers, parents, Don't provoke your children to anger. In other words, don't be careless with your words. 
Don't be rough with your children. Raise them, live with them in a, in a kind, godly way, in a gentle way. But bring them up in the, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So Paul goes, parents, listen, your primary responsibility, your primary mission in the home is to raise your kids to love Jesus. That's your number one task as a dad, as a mom, is to raise your kids up to absolutely fall in love with Jesus and give their lives away to him. And this is not a, like a new idea that Paul is just like discovering in Ephesians. This was God's design from the very beginning of time. Go back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6 in your Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read just a portion of this chapter beginning in verse 1 to you. This is what it says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Right? Do you see this idea of passing the faith down from one generation to the next in the home? Like that's been present from the very beginning of time. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Go down to verse 4. Now, this is, this is a massively important passage. So if you're like a highlighter or something like that, highlight this passage. This is what they, the uh, scholars call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All right, parents, tune in. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. See, friend, from the very beginning, God's plan to reach children was never a great kids' church program or an amazing youth ministry. His plan from the word go was for fathers and mothers to lovingly compel their children to fall in love with God and live for him with everything that they have. Parents, this is God's plan for you. Love God with everything that you have and then infuse that love for God into your children. That's your task as parents. The rest is all window dressing. Now, when should you do this? Should you do this like once a month and force some kind of awkward spiritual conversation with your kids at dinner time after not talking to them about spiritual things ever? Should you do this when your kids start to get in trouble in school? When should you do this? Well, Deuteronomy tells us. When you sit, when you walk, when you lay down at night, when you rise up in the morning, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Like all the time. That should just be a part of our lives. We infuse this love of God into our kids all the stinking time. And here's probably like a sobering, but I think a healthy question for all of us to ask this morning. If someone were to ask your kids, or if someone were to ask your grandkids, hey, what do your, what do your parents or what do your grandparents really care about the most? What are they really about? What do they talk most about at home? What would your kids, what would your grand, what would their answer be? You ever thought about that? 
Is your, is your life preaching the sermon of money to your kids? Is your life preaching the, the, the sermon of sports or discontentment with work or whatever it is? Or is your, is your life preaching to your children the sermon of Jesus and giving your life away to him? Because here's the thing. Nothing will make Jesus less appealing to your children than saying you love him and then living for other things. But when you begin to live out Ephesians 6, Deuteronomy 6 at home, not perfectly. It's never going to happen perfectly for any of us. But when we begin to create that culture in our homes, we begin to teach our children that loving God with everything that we have is worth it. That Jesus is worth it. That he's worthy of our lives and our highest affections. For Cheryl and I, we have a bedtime routine uh, with, with our kids uh, that culminates with uh, Cheryl praying uh, with our kids and then I, I pray with them. And it's quite the process at night, and it includes all, all sorts of things like uh, reading stories to them, and usually there are some tickle fights uh, thrown in, some secret uh, hugs and kisses. Uh, again, it's, it's quite the process. But one of my consistent prayers with my kids, and listen, I don't, I don't, I don't just pray these prayers privately because I want my children to hear me Pray these things to God. So one of my consistent prayers at night with my kids is, God, help me be a good daddy to them and help me point them to you. I want my kids to know that that's my heartbeat for them. Now, they, they know I fail. They watch me fail consistently. And the reality is my kids need to see me fail. My kids need to, to watch me seek forgiveness from them or their mom and to receive forgiveness, to receive grace, to cling to the gospel of Jesus. They need to see that their daddy needs Jesus too. I had to apologize to one of my kids uh, just last week for uh, being short and unkind with the way that I spoke to them. But when we as parents are consistently talking about God, when we're consistently asking one another for forgiveness and receiving that grace, what happens is we begin to create a space for our kids to understand that we're all broken and that there, there's actually space in the Christian life for us to fall down and then get back up again and dust ourselves off and find grace. And we all need Jesus. This is not just something that we talk about on Sundays, like this grace stuff, this Jesus stuff. Like this should permeate every part of our lives. We should just be talking about it all the time. And when we create, when we begin to create that culture in our homes, loving God just becomes part of the fabric of our families. And our kids get to experience God's goodness in a real tangible way. And that's winsome. It's winsome to your kids to see faith actually lived out in an authentic way. Not something that we just bust out for an hour or two on Sunday morning and then we put it back in the drawer of our lives and close it and we don't talk about it ever again until we come back to church the next week. And so I want to give you as parents, as grandparents, several, four applications uh, that we can draw out from the, these texts in Ephesians and, and Deuteronomy. And then we're going to, Corporately, we're going to celebrate 
what Jesus has done for us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we give our, our sin offerings and pledges. But several, several truths to consider uh, this morning. The first one is this. Our first and our most important mission field is at home with our kids. And I'll include grandkids because I think many grandparents are taking on greater roles these days and helping raise the grandkids in our culture. And so, yes, as a church family, we must engage our city with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus compels us to go to the the refugees north of Atlanta, so we're going to keep doing that. The gospel of Jesus compels us to pray, give, and go to the millions in slavery, to the billions who have never even heard about Jesus all over the world. But church family, hear me say this. In our going to these places and to these people, let us not neglect our first mission field, our homes with our kids and our grandkids. Second take-home point would be this. The most important thing you will ever do for your kids or your grandkids is to give them Jesus. This is of primary importance. The primary goal, Christian parent, for our children is not, hear me say this, is not a great education. Now, I'm all about education. I spent eight years after high school getting an education. But our primary goal, our primary calling, our primary mission as moms and dads is not for our kids to be academic scholars who get scholarships to prestigious universities. That happens. Great. That is not our highest calling. Our highest calling is not for our kids to become great athletes or world-class musicians. Our primary goal as parents who believe is that our children would come to know Jesus fully and find satisfaction in him forever. Because here, I want you to hear me say this. If we do not do this, if we do not do what Ephesians 6 and Deuteronomy 6 command us to do as parents, our kids will leave our homes one day and our kids will waste their lives Chasing things that will not make them happy and won't matter in the end and will be on us. It'll be on us. Take home point number three. Our children will not imitate our words. They will imitate our lives. So if we say we love Jesus with our lips... But the way we invest our time doesn't reflect that. The way we spend our money doesn't reflect that. The passions in our life don't reflect that. Listen, friends, children are professional fraud detectors. Do you know that? They are professional fraud detectors. Trust me, your kids know what's important to you. The way that you live your life preaches that sermon to them every day of their lives. You will not fool your kids. You can fool me on Sunday morning for an hour. You will not fool your kids or grandkids. And so mom and dad, fall in love with Jesus and live for him. That is the greatest gift that you could ever give your children. The greatest. Here's the last application point. Parents, believing parents, you have everything you need to disciple your children. See, I already know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Chris, man, I don't know where to start. I don't feel equipped. I don't know all the answers in the Bible. What if they ask me hard questions? 
Understand, you, don't, you do not have to be a Bible scholar or a seminary professor to read the Bible with your kids or to pray with them every day or to talk to them about God or serve with them or tell them your story of how Jesus rescued you. This isn't rocket science. This is simply living life in light of God's goodness every single day with your kids. So it doesn't have to be like this, this weird thing where you wake up and we force them to read eight chapters of Exodus and then we have like a 45-minute uh, sermon or some weird kind of, I don't know what we think about when we think about discipling our kids, but that's not it. It's just simple things. Last week, um, my son, my six-year-old, was standing in our backyard and there's this beautiful sunset. My son was just marveling at the beauty of all of the colors. And it just reminded him of who painted that sky. That God is this amazing, creative artist, and God is beautiful. And that, that, that picture on the sky that you're admiring is it's just a taste of how beautiful God is, son. And when our, when our kids are experiencing like the pleasure of their favorite meal, when they're little, it's probably something nasty like chicken nuggets or mac and cheese or something like that. But when they're, they're experiencing like the pleasure of their favorite meal, that's such a great opportunity just for, as parents to point them in the, to their highest pleasure in Jesus. We can just tell our kids, like, man, food can all taste like cardboard. But God gives us all these flavors and textures to enjoy so that we would be reminded that there is a God in heaven who is good and wants us to enjoy him. Right, when our kids get a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, we let them enjoy that gift and we tell them God is the giver of all good gifts. Right? We just keep everything in front of them, pointing them to God. Even in our own flawed ways, we just keep pointing them to their joy, their satisfaction in Jesus. Now, if this isn't a regular practice in your home, it's going to seem strange at first, I promise you. But I also promise you, over time, it just becomes a normal part of your conversation as a family. You can do this. Believing parent, you have the Spirit of God and you have the Word of God. You have everything that you need. If you feel like you need some practical tips and tools, contact us. Contact Heather, our children's minister, Craig, our youth pastor. Man, we would be happy to help resource you for the task. But you can do this. You must do this. There's too much at stake not to do this. And so church, let me just encourage you, let's start at home with our children, with our grandchildren as the mission field that they are. Let's speak and live authentic life, not perfect, but authentic life sold out for Jesus with them. And then let's go out into our city. Let's go out into our world to the people who desperately need rescue and freedom both spiritually and physically. We can do this together. And we need each other to accomplish this task, right? Like that task that Jesus gave his disciples, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Zephyr. That is a massive task. That is an overwhelming task. I can't do it alone and you can't do it alone. But together we can accomplish that mission together. Came across a quote uh, that I thought was really good from C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was a, a British missionary to China, and this is what he said. He said, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. C. 
See, the mission doesn't end at home, but the mission always starts at home. Let me pray for us as the band comes, as ushers come to the tables, get prepared to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, would you give us missional hearts? Would you help us all to realize that we're missionaries? It's not a matter of whether or not we're missionaries. It's just a matter of of whether we're living on mission with you faithfully, if we're being obedient to you or disobedient to you. So God, would you help us to be faithful in our homes with our children, God? Would you help us then to to go out and engage our city and engage our world with the hope that only Jesus provides? Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for grace. It's in his life-giving name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Church family, we're going to close our time uh, this morning by celebrating and worshiping in two unique ways. Firstly, we're going to celebrate by coming to the Lord's tables, taking the bread, taking the juice, to just remind us that Jesus has purchased our freedom with his own body and blood. And so I want you to know, when you come to this table and you get that juice and you get that crackler, what you're doing is you're proclaiming that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life on your behalf, that he died to pay for your rebellion and your sin, and that he rose again on the third day to purchase our forgiveness and our freedom, not just in this life, but in eternity. And so if you're here and you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a team member here at New Life or not, in just a moment, we would invite you to come to the tables. If you're here and you're not yet a believer, you just kind of stumbled in here this morning or some friend drug you in here against your wishes, I would just invite you to kind of hang out during this time. You can pray, you can meditate, just sit back, relax, enjoy the music, ask questions if you want. But this is a time for those of us who have already believed and given our life to Jesus to come and to celebrate his life, his death, his resurrection. And then also, this week is a little unique in the sense that as you come, if you're a part of our church family here, we're also going to celebrate and we're going to worship by bringing our, our send offering up. So we have little baskets on the tables. And so uh, you should have an envelope in your bulletin. If you don't have one for whatever reason, there's some at the back next to the sound booth. I just want to remind you, this send offering that we collect one time a year It goes to fund all of our work in 2019 in our city, in our country, and around the world. 100% of this offering goes out. Like not a single penny stays in-house. All of it goes to meet local and global needs as we love people in the name of Jesus in word and deed. If you didn't come prepared to give, if you're like, man, I don't have any cash. I don't even have a checkbook anymore. It's 2018. Um, (laughs) There is a little place on your envelope where you can write a pledge for 2019. You can just say, hey, I'm gonna commit to giving 50 bucks a month in 2019 or whatever it is. There's also a giving kiosk out there, the Next Steps booth. There's an option there to give to missions as well. So church, I'm gonna invite you right now to stand with me. Exit to your left. There are four tables in the front. There are two in the back. Get your elements, return on the right, have a seat. And then we're gonna take the elements together in just a moment. You come.